You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm very pleased to be bringing you the first part of James Acaster's third appearance on the show, a historic third appearance as James Acaster returns again part one. Now, the whole of this two-hour conversation, this is going to be the first hour and next week I'll release the second hour in part two, the whole of it is available to everybody. But members of the Insiders Club were also treated to a special Q&A over Zoom asking James their questions in person. Tons of invites went out, 70 people were in the room, and we all had a whale of a time. That audio is now available on the Insiders Club private podcast, and it was so much fun, we're going to do more of them with other comics. So for your future invitations to those, as well as all the extra content from every episode that has it, join now at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Most of this conversation is going to be about James's new show, his self-release special, Cold Lasagna, Hate Myself 1999, which I'm lucky to have seen both live and in its uh, release format, in its pre-release format. It comes out on the 17th of December at 8 o'clock. Get this, 8 o'clock wherever you are in the world. So you can go to dice.fm slash artist slash James hyphen Acaster hyphen bbx60 i mean you're not going to do that are you you're going to you're going to google dice james acaster um but that will enable you to buy a ticket for the streamed version it's not like netflix where it goes live and it stays there for ages it's on at eight o'clock and that's when it's on so don't miss out 8 p.m on the 17th of december go to dice.fm or google some combination of dice.fm and james acaster but don't follow james on social media because that's not a thing anymore as we will discuss in this episode we're going to talk about uh, the new show. We're going to talk about how raw it is. We're going to talk about the contrasts between this show and his previous work. Uh, we'll discuss his new cool guy look and uh, we'll discuss the pros and cons of having a right old go at the audience. We will talk about James's rejection of social media, the distance between his persona and his real self and how he has in the past forfeited his sanity so as not to rock the boat. All of that and more. This is part one. Here's James Acaster. Let's let's start by talking about that because we, there's loads to talk about about the content of the show and yeah. you know you I'll be led by you as to which stuff you still consider a spoiler mm-hmm. given that yeah tens of thousands of people yeah. um, but let's just talk about how it's framed and the and the jacket and the glasses <laughs> yeah. and all of that talk talk to me about uh, that who is the track that's playing over the beginning so the track at the beginning is your friend and mine Paul Williams uh, so uh, Paul Williams is a New Zealand uh, musician uh well also comedian who's a friend of comedians and uh lived with us in edinburgh uh for a couple of years as well um and yeah he's just someone that i've got to know over the years and he did this amazing album called surf music in uh 2018 that i couldn't stop listening to and 2018 was when i was like started writing this show and uh i had a i was doing like um work in progresses Everywhere, because I had the Netflix specials come out in 2018. So every time I had a gig, I just wouldn't do old stuff because I was thinking, well, there's a scene and I'm sick of it. I don't want to do any of that stuff. And I had, I had a gig in, like, I had some solo gigs in LA. Um, and I should have just done <laughs> all the stuff I know works. But instead, I was like, no, I'm going to do all the new stuff. I'm just going to do that and uh, try and figure out the show. And it was a small venue, like, a, I think it was 70 seats. And there was no real backstage and... I kind of would have to be in the room when they came in and there was nowhere to 
hide. And so, um, and there was the iPod was next to the stage as well. And I kind of like John Kearns did and, and just was like, well, I'm going to be, be standing around as they come in and I'll be playing songs off my iPod. I didn't know what songs I was going to play. And I played that Euroleague song, which is yeah. the, the start of the thing. And because I was just really loving that album at the time, I just turned it up higher than than I, I, I'd played anything else. <laughs> and it got a laugh. And, I, I, and also I was on stage with the jacket and the shades. Mm. And I kind of like turned it up and it got a laugh. And then I went, turned it back down for the rest of the playlist and then just thought, I want to play it again. And I just played it again and turned it up. And it became like quite a little fun thing to do. And for a while, that was what I did at every time I did that show was like when they were coming in I'd be on stage um and I'd be iPod in it and turn that song kept on playing that song and every time I played that song I'd walk to the front of the stage and stare the audience down and then I'd go back to the iPod and turn it down again and carry on doing it and then I'd do it in the interval as well and it was like a as it became like a longer show eventually I had to stop doing it because uh during the run of the show the way my audiences behaves changed. <laughs> and so, like, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, we'll come on to audience in a, in a bit. But um, with... Uh, this show is clearly... And it's, like, what, two hours and 20 minutes long, plus an interval. Like, it's a big, big show. And I remember when you were making... I remember when the four Netflix specials were coming out, which is still unique, as far as I understand. I don't think anyone's done it before. I think so. Um, when that happened... You did the opposite of resting on your laurels. Like I remember you saying, "I'm doing some new stuff here." I was like, "What are you? Do- what are you doing? What do you mean you're doing new stuff?" Um, so that that kind of the work that went into this show. This show is simultaneously your uh, most honest show, and it's you're not being an undercover cop in this one. You're being you, and you're talking about things that you care about. And it, that that like your your work up until this show has really been characterised by. I'm talking about one thing, but really I'm talking about something else. In this show, it's not to say there's no subtext or you don't you, you play with that still, but you are saying this happened and this happened and this happened and these are all these things that meant to me. At the same time, you're wearing the jacket and the shades for a lot of the time, so you're kind of, it's almost, I mean, I know you, you kind of had in repertoire, you had the kind of the stylistic decisions, but this is like you're, you're playing a version of yourself mm-hmm. It's like you're playing more of a contrived or, or a kind of a, a flourished version of yourself and being more honest at the same time. Yeah. Disgust. Yeah. It, well, it, it was, again, it's like, I guess with every show, there's no plan going in when you're starting doing the work in progress is for me. And I'm just going with whatever is fun. So like, like with that track and going like, it's just funny, it just feels funny. And then I realised eventually that in the song he says... Uh, about um 2017 i was saying goodbye and all this stuff and i was like oh that's like the theme of the show and this song's perfect but oh that so maybe that's why i liked it and with the jacket and the shades it was just like i bought that jacket for taskmaster i was doing like in the studio um things in taskmaster you have to like wear a bunch of different outfits and i thought i'm just gonna buy a bunch of stuff that i'd never wear and so on on that series of taskmaster every time i'm in the studio i'm wearing a really bright colorful shirt or something i'm I was deliberately trying to not dress the same because I was bored of wearing autumnal corduroy. So I was like, <laughs> like let's like, do that. And I just loved that jacket. I remember being really excited about wearing it. I wore it for the final episode of Taskmaster. And I was like, well, if that's all I wear it for, that's a shame because I quite like it. And so I started wearing it to work in progress gigs just to make me feel like I was doing a show. So I just I got a costume and I didn't know what the show was at that point. And I quite enjoyed wearing the jacket. And I think I was just like, you know, I want let's commit to this look a bit more. Also, I'd coincidentally, I'd I'd been given for Taskmaster again these trainers for the studio that were Avengers themed vans, yeah. and which I loved yeah. and was obsessed with, and I was just wearing them anyway. And so they kind of went with the jacket, and I thought I'll put some shades on, and then I look like I'm trying to be cool. And that'll just amuse me for, you know, I think sometimes I'm on my way to a work in progress and I'm thinking, oh, I haven't really got anything that new. And I, but I want to, you know, scramble it around somehow and make it feel different so I will find something new. Like when you're trying to figure out an anagram and you just shuffle the letters around again and maybe you'll see what the word is. And, and so like going, if I just wear this tonight and I'll do the same material, but I'll have a different kind of swagger to me. There'll be something different in there. 
like mentally so maybe i'll find new stuff and just kind of i quickly found that going on stage with shades i just felt more comfortable i felt like it was a mask i can't really uh and i can talk about personal stuff a bit easier because they can't see me i've got this on and i've got the jacket on and i can uh and i was doing the bravado as well and kind of going on one of the things that i'd had on the last tour and like for my whole kind of career was people saying to me we're so glad you don't swear and it was annoying me so i was like i'm gonna go on <laughs> just like this <laughs> and just start swearing tonight and that's that's what i'll do tonight and it will amuse me and i'll just see what reaction it gets and if everyone had hated it i probably wouldn't have done it but like you go okay well that was fun and like so let's continue to do that so there's no by the end of it i realized that oh this whole thing this this bravado that i go on with and the kind of caricature of an edgy comedian at the start allows me to then do the personal show and feel like i've got a little bit of space between me and the audience there i've got a little bit of like it's not i'm not giving you 100 percent me i'm not just being myself and talking to you openly you're not my friends or my family you're an audience that i'm doing a show for and so that uh, puts that in place and also just the themes of um kind of i guess if there is any subtext to the show and it's not really so but because i do mention it talk about it a lot but it's the themes of freedom of speech or uh what isn't isn't offensive in comedy and stuff like that it's a, it's a much more subtler thing that's not as loud as the rest of it. But that's going all the way through. And so kind of like presenting myself as one of those kind of comedians mm. felt appropriate the more that I did it, that I was kind of like... And kind of illustrating that I can talk about stuff that maybe feels a little bit uh, potentially upsetting or edgy or offensive or whatever. And I, actually you can take those themes that you claim people are not letting you talk about as a comic and then you can just talk about them from a completely different angle and it's fine to talk about that theme and it's not the theme it's what you are saying about it and kind of like presenting it like that that kind of less to the audience but more to me on stage became a big part of what the show was and and throughout this and i I, I guess this is this is true throughout the whole show and throughout your work, you're discovering stuff rather than planning stuff. Yeah. So that anagram idea I really love of like just, I've got a thing I, I want to say, which is whatever's on my mind, whatever's kind of hurt me today or I feel rejected by today or I've celebrated today. And I'm just going to go on and just try and do it in a different way mm. such that I discover something, you know, connections uh, appear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just like, that that because otherwise if I try like when I was an open spot I tried so hard to be like this is what this routine's gonna be and this is what you know uh, the kind of comic I'm gonna be tonight or whatever and it just was so contrived and like you could tell it was a real effort and actually if you just discover organically this is the best path for this bit and sometimes you discover a path that you know you actually don't like but the audience are laughing at it, and you go well I'm gonna go back to that mm-hmm. crossroads and try and find a different way because like you know you do discover rubbish stuff doing that method yeah. as well yeah <laughs> you know you just discover... yeah, it's very important to recognize when you've made poor connections yeah yeah, yeah. Where, where you're kind of giving people a show that isn't as good as you could be doing it with but like you know i mean this whole show was not um i wasn't like right i've done the only thing that i kind of had in mind was i'm not going to do what i've just done again so that was it i was like i don't want to do and it's funny now talking about it like this because, like, it's 2020 now. I filmed those Netflix shows in 2017. And it's funny to me now thinking that I filmed those shows and was like, right, you, you know, you've just done these. Uh, you've got, to, you, you know, I was scared that that was going to be all I was. No one else cared as much as I did about those shows. They was like, oh, there's some Netflix specials on and we'll watch them. Yeah, and people weren't walking around like, How's he going to follow that? <laughs> they, were, they, 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 they were just like, okay, I watched him and uh, I, I liked him or I didn't like him. But in my head, I was like, because, you know, it was however many years of my life yeah. writing those shows, a year touring them, linking them together and uh, really thinking about how we filmed them, really thinking about how the, the set, set looked and the venue and all that stuff and getting it how we wanted to get it, getting it on the platform that we wanted it, to get it on being allowed to release four all at once. And then in my head, I was just like, well, I don't know what I do now, because do I do five now? 
or do I do? Oh, what, 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 what's the how, what, what's the thing of going forwards? And like, yes. I don't want to because I don't want to not go forwards. I'll feel uh, frustrated. I'll feel maybe even a bit embarrassed. And if, if I'm just staying yeah, in the you, same that's place, that's one of the downsides of an incredible achievement like that. Is what do you follow it with? Yeah, like you continue stretching yourself. What do I do? I do five now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But that was the thing. You go, yeah. I mean, because the initial response is like people people would say to me, like, you know, what you're gonna do? How many? How many are you gonna do next? And you're like, oh no, that's not what I did. I I, I wrote those over over years, six years. Um, and so what I wanted to do was actually the opposite, almost. So I'm saying like, like. So I was so stressed about moving forwards and progressing that I almost tried to do the opposite and write a really scrappy... So that's why I was doing stuff really quickly when you saw yeah, me. Yeah, and I was yeah. chatting to him and I'm doing new stuff at this place. I was like, I'm going to do this. This is going to be shit. Like, almost like this is going to be... I'm going to do a show that's not as good and I'll release it and it'll be like... Um, you know, there's some uh, musicians that I really like who release an album that is way more impactful than anything I've ever done. But like something like, you know, Neutral Milk Hotel, I love Neutral Milk yeah. Hotel, or um, actually no, a better example is uh, Songs Ohio, Jason Molina, and they released uh, Electric Magnolia Company, Magnolia Electric Company, sorry. And they released that album, and it's, it was like their best album. And uh, then this, the next album he released was just him and a guitar, and it was hardly any melody to speak of and quite droney and very difficult Yeah, and okay. uh, didn't sound like he'd, he'd put the same amount of effort into it and you're like oh okay well we're just not going to get that again and he's kind of telling us you know that thing that you liked well you're not getting that again so don't expect me to do that again and I kind of felt like I want to do that I want to go I'm not going to do that again so don't expect it and instead I thought I'll just go on and I'll just talk about however I'm feeling and it just happened to be that I was in a bad place yeah. mentally for two years when I was writing that show and so any material that I tried that wasn't this stuff that's ended up in the specials didn't work and I wanted it to work I tried to even tried to frame the same stories in a similar way as I'd framed the specials at one point at one point it was going to be that I was in prison <laughs> taking on more and more yeah. of the justice system. Yeah. <laughs> Next well, time, I, I, I kind of I got it in my head one day that, like, oh well, you've done these four things that are set in the same universe. What a shame if you move out of this universe now. Like, no other comic's done a whole career that exists in one fake universe, so you've got to continue that. I was like, right, okay, so it's about being in prison, and I tried it at one. Thing and, and you could just hit, feel the audience who were, you know, they, they'd seen the other shows and stuff. Yeah. You could feel them go, mm, no, not anymore. Like, yeah. you could just feel it. That's like, this doesn't feel yes. right. We can tell this is... The isn't... James Acaster extended cinematic universe is maybe not the yes. direction to take it. Yeah, so there's a lot of bad choices and a lot of, like, stuff like that, yeah. And, and I think when you... Because you had that kind of, like, I'm going to dash this show off. Do you know what I mean? I'm just going to scribble it out. You ended up, obviously, doing a show that was kind of not... I don't want to say it was more honest. I don't want to imply the previous shows were less honest. But this is, you know, you, there is no there is no kind of... It's not like a puzzle box where we have to work out what's going on. Mm-hmm. It, like, you've spent years building up this ability to finally tool something, to take, you know, whatever absurd thing and find not only a sort of whimsical comedy in it, but also... Uh, a kind of a deeper meaning to everything and it's like well you've got those skills now it's like you've been a one-liner guy for ages and now you're talking about yourself except it's spilling out of you in one-liners to use a wrong analogy but you know what I mean it's, yeah. it's like you obviously the finished show is really finely tooled but the bedrock of it is just you often quite angrily saying a thing I mean the bits when you're insulting the audience and calling them <laughs> dorks and spe- I mean that's a nice little setup at the beginning by the time that you are uh admonishing them in advance for the tweets they're going to try and send you after the show is just so lovely and you're so angry and so honestly angry Mm -hmm. and I I know like we've had conversations you know uh, we've had private conversations in which you've said some of those things and I'm like he's saying all this stuff (laughs) come on so was it was it kind of liberating and were there any drawbacks to that kind of that kind of emotional I mean, I yeah. keep trying not to say taking a big emotional shit. <laughs> yeah, know? well, that's, yeah, both those things. It was liberating and um, 
scary and um, like I would have work in progress shows that when I started to figure out what the show was because I tried to make it that this, initially the show was going to be the best year of my life so I was in a bad place mentally I wasn't doing great I knew I'd had a really bad year and I thought instead of going out there and doing worst year of my life show let's I'll focus on stage on the best year of my life so initially it was like let's do that so like I got a lot of material about 1999 being the best year of my life but the more I did it, the, the it's it, like the drop. I never had material before have such a short shelf life. I've been like, it was exciting at first, and then very quickly the audience not buying into it, and got, and you could feel them looking at me going, "What's going on here? You're not you you you're like the guy who's going around telling everyone he's okay and he's not okay." And it kind of felt like that, and so I kind of was like, "Well," I has had some shows where I was like, oh, "Well, maybe just." talk more about like I'd start from about 99 and then I'd compare it to my life now and I would start you know I do a lot of improvising in the work in progress show so then I'd just start talking about something that had happened recently and that would go better and it would be something I hadn't experienced before on stage I hadn't experienced like telling quite a raw personal story that was um quite negative and uh even sad at any points and actually getting a good reaction from it and not getting the audience like you know feel sorry for me or go what the hell is he doing he doesn't we don't come and see him for this stuff and those shows those work in progress shows started getting really exciting and i was telling them you know about personal breakups i'd had um you know professional difficulties stuff like that and it was actually going well and i'd come away from those work in progress ones feeling like that was the most I've ever enjoyed comedy. And um, it's the most excited I've been on stage. It's the most connected I've felt to an audience. Like, I really felt they were there with me and um, in, a, in a completely appropriate way that wasn't, like, crossing any boundaries. Like, I really felt good about those shows. And then I'd have work-in-progress shows that went badly and they didn't laugh at those stories. And I would come off really stressed, really anxious, really worried that what I was saying was going to get back to the people that I was talking about in the routines, that uh, this is just a really bad idea and um, it's actually going to cause a lot of personal problems for me that isn't worth it, um, you know, for the risk of just having a few laughs on stage and, and doing a show. You know, I, I had shows where they didn't laugh throughout and then I'd say something that would, for want of a better word, trigger someone in the audience... Mm. And I've had people cry at the shows and like, but like, in, not just cry quietly, but like speak out and say something to me and then get upset and cry. And then like, you know, I had what a work in progress where I was literally like just sat there talking to a guy while everyone was walking out because like it was, I was like, okay, I worded that routine bad or I set that routine up badly because like, you know, before I could try and figure out a routine about apricots and I'm not going to upset anyone. And if the routine isn't funny, it's like, oh, that comedian wasn't very funny tonight. But with this, it was like, if I mess this up and I don't word it right, I could upset people. I could get put the wrong message across. People could misinterpret things about my personal life or about my mental health or about their own mental health. Like it, And it became something that I was definitely so many times considered not doing the show and so many times I've considered not even putting this special out on yeah. you know like and being and getting scared and at least now with the special I can watch it back and go okay no that is what I yeah. want it's fine yeah, yeah. but like before that when I was just doing yeah I was scared uh and um and also what that developed into is once the show had I'd got it worded how I wanted and I knew like this is how I want to present everything to everybody I've got the show I want but even then, when that was finished, I would you know, have tour shows or festival shows doing it that would go badly because that's what the job is. Some shows go badly. And again, before, if I was going on stage saying I was an undercover cop and the show went bad, they just went, that show was bad and that comedian didn't do a very good show tonight. With a show like this, where you're talking about a bad year in your life, you're talking about your mental health and stuff like that, if you are not getting laughs or if you mess the show up, if you try and go off on a tangent that doesn't work and stuff like that, you're saying about the bits where I'm berating the audience. Sometimes, you know, 
the gig's going badly and you do those bits and it feels more like you're lashing out or you try and improvise around that. Sometimes you try and go even further to let them know I'm definitely joking and even that doesn't work. And that, and then they don't come away going, that show was bad. They come away going, he's um, he's got mental health issues. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, I, and they would say as much, you know, on social media and stuff like that. And that would make me think, oh, this was a bad idea because, like, now they're not coming away going, that comedian was shit. They're coming away going, James Acaster is mentally ill and we're now going to talk about that online. And I, I had a lot of stuff on that tour where audiences would assume stuff that wasn't happening and would enjoy online, you know, putting it about that he's not OK, he's not OK. And I was, you know, I had to cancel the gig at one point for a very good reason uh, that was not about me. It was about something someone else had done. And... Um, the rumours that got started about, you know, amongst, it might just be a small amount of people, but it's enough that you go, oh, it's, that's, that's concerning that just through doing a show, just through talking about your mental health, which is meant to be a positive thing, mm-hmm. you can then invite people to go, well, then he's nuts. Then, then there's something wrong with him. Then he's not coping and all this kind of stuff. And that would sometimes make me think, mm, maybe I just should have said I was in prison. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like... <laughs> you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You've always felt to them your fans as a kind of champion we talked about this before that you're that you're kind of like a nerd who who won you're a you know you're a kind of you know you're a, a froob <laughs> who's uh, do you know what I mean you're you're kind of angular and unwieldy and have those gears performatively and yet can slap down jimmy carr do you know what I mean like uh, or you know other high status comedian on panel show of your choice so you you like they're deeply involved with you and i suppose that like, does it in like maybe the the risk you run is you you invite that involvement by bearing your innermost. Yeah. So it's almost like you get the benefits from it, but you've got to pay the price for it. Now, something you do in the show really well is navigate that and other very difficult issues. Mm-hmm. You know, like you you dance very carefully around saying this this is a difficult experience for me but I'm fine now but let's get into it or this relationship ended in a preposterous way that you won't even believe but let's talk about it because it's true and and then the stuff with leaving your agent mm-hmm. that kind of material part of me wondered actually when I saw because the show that's that's coming out on the something of December 17th 17th, 17th of December is it's not being released then is it it's no. being streamed once yeah. is that part of the decision to do with like that's behind that yeah. thinking is like you don't really want people to have it in their houses and rewatch it. You want to go that was that and now it's done. Yeah, for now I want to. It's an experiment at the minute. It's release this and see how I feel afterwards. Um, you know, see how people behave. Uh, see uh, if it's going to be fine. Yeah, I, I would. I would like it to be something people can rewatch, but I don't want it to be something that. 
becomes a, a thing for me to yeah. have to deal with. So, like, you know, um, so, yeah, there, there's just, like, you just kind of go, well, I'll, I'll release it once and we'll see how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> and it also, because you're because it isn't, like, presumably one of the options was sell it to Netflix, right? There Or, or someone along... I mean, don't want to make, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know burn relationships here, but you... You've you know you're you're you've got the world at your feet. I'm sure people will answer your calls from whatever distribution networks. But you've decided to self-release it, which I uh, chuckled to myself in the ki- in the kitchen a couple of days ago. I thought, oh, that's good. He's had his kits and, and eaten it too. <laughs> be, you get to be this kind of like outsider self-releasing guy, whilst also that's I mean that's true of your career, isn't it? You're a kind of. Uh, not quite outsider, not quite artistic, but like you're your own guy and you make your own decisions and you also get, you know, your big TV guy and do all the panel shows. And I think I said to you before, you know, the clips, clips of the infinite sofa that you were in have got 50 to a hundred times as many views as anyone else. And that's, you know, other big name comics in there as well. So like with the Netflix thing behind you, 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 you like exist massively online in a way that I didn't really realize you know what I mean yeah and it's like um, and part of the kind of decision of like not being on social media and stuff was was like because of that because I go well I won't exist like literally yeah like I take myself out of it because I'm not it's it's, and it wasn't like a there was loads of different reasons for coming off of it the main one just being something that everyone can relate to, which is that it's objectively bad for you. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. like, so so it's not it's not like you know. And again, you kind of come off that stuff, and when you come off of social media, when you're on a tour talking about your mental health, people assume it's because you've you've had a breakdown. Right? Sure. Uh, whereas actually, you've stopped doing a bad thing. You stopped when you stopped doing something that's bad. For you, when but. you came off social media, like as in deactivated your account, would you still look at it, or would you like cold turkey? Don't pay any attention. I, I to didn't it? want to. Like I, I just didn't want to, and like I, I've kind of like peaked on it again since, but not for my own stuff. But like so sometimes, like if I've. Um, like when we were releasing the dice, uh, when we were announcing the dice, I just wanted to make sure that it was announced properly. So like yeah. I was looking on to be like, have they done that tweet? Uh, you know, is this out there? Do people know about it? Stuff like that. But I'm not, I'm not on there going like, right, who's um, who's saying this? And, I, and when I originally deactivated my account, I had no reason to go on there and had no desire to go on there. Uh, it was fine. But like, um, yeah, I, I kind of just feel like with that existence online like that's for them that's for the that's for that's not for me uh we've had conversations like that in the past about reviews and stuff but you just go like that's their thing and that they're allowed to like you know get into my comedy however they want i hope they're getting into it in a healthy way that is uh that means that i'm not i personally as a human being don't mean too much to them because i shouldn't do it should be the show and that should be it the show the podcast the you know the book whatever it is that they like have the relationship with that that's great you don't have a relationship with me and I hope you don't think that because like you, you should just feel like I like that stand-up routine. I like that show. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't like, I can't do anything more than that for anybody. And uh, all you owe them is a show. Yeah. You just owe them what, what you're putting out there. And that's the way I view the people that I'm a fan of. You know, I really love the fact that they've done all this, uh, these amazing albums or whatever it is. But, you know, I've interviewed them and I always go into those interviews not expecting them to, you know, they're going to be my friend or they're going to be great. Like, they're allowed to be in a bad mood today. They're allowed to not want to talk to me, whatever it is. I mean, they've all been lovely. I've been very lucky with meeting my heroes. But, like, you know, but then it's not like they don't owe me anything more than the album that they've put out. And, uh, and yeah, I just kind of, I felt that... uh, if, If you're on all the social media stuff, you just see all the stuff that is, you know... Not everyone's thinking about how they word stuff before they post it online, and they're not thinking about who they tag in it and who they say it to. So, it, and it's it's not so much like, uh, that you know, some people think if you're a comic, you come off as because everyone's saying that you're shit or whatever, and uh, it's more just just feels inappropriate a lot of the time. You feel like you're around a lot of strangers who know you, and that feels a bit weird. And yeah, uh, you you I think you sort of come you make that quite explicit in the uh, in the show about how. Like it's almost that it's. Well, I don't know if you say this specifically, but it's like it's not. It's not really their fault because how on earth could they have the perspective that you've got? Do you know what I mean? Like how on earth could they see it from your point of view when you're at the other end of all those connections? I've, I've mentioned this loads on the on the podcast before, but 
there's a there's a piece of writing Stephen Fry did years ago, and he said everyone I meet has some connection to me. Everyone says, oh, you know my cousin's hairdresser's friends, blah, blah, blah. To them, it only occurs to them that that connection exists. Yeah. But to him, everyone says that because everyone he's ever met has gone, mm. tell you who was in here the other week was Stephen Fry. Do you yeah, know what I mean? So, yeah, it's, yeah. So, so they can't, it's like a Darren Brown thing. Like they'll never see it from that perspective. Yeah. They'll never realise that. I mean, some of them will and be pricks about it and go at James Acaster or, you know, sure. whatever. So, But it's just that, I think the thing I like to write in the show is that like, yeah, writing is a job. Writing is a profession. People are professional writers and have to learn how to be good at it. And social media, people are not professional writers and they don't choose the right words and they don't word it very well and they've got to do it in 148 characters or whatever. And they are not going to uh, accurately get across how they feel in an appropriate way and some of it is going to feel creepy and full on and they're going to say the wrong stuff. And if you're at the receiving end of all that, you go, oh, you know what, I don't really need this every day. Yeah. I don't need people, like, you know, saying stuff that sounds threatening or too intense and stuff like that at me or just rude, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's not their fault. Again, you know, before I did comedy, I I probably would have, uh, you know, phrased things. I, 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 there's so many times I got in trouble with friends because I'd text them something. They were like, do you hate me? What is this? <laughs> you know, so like, you know, you, you, you just... I remember Trevor Locke, having, you know, I used to live with Trevor, and he, he had a go at me once for a text I sent that got misinterpreted. And he said, he said, you're a comedian, you're a professional writer. Like, think about what <laughs> words you're using. And I started doing that more in text messages and going, yeah, OK, how am I saying this? And, oh, God, um, I... The the occasional times I send a funny text, I send it far too fast because I I send it in the moment and go, oh, this is the right thing to say in a group text message, yeah. and then I'll just I mean it's like a it's almost a trope of mine now. I'll say something and then I'll immediately text a a, a little a kind of a little let down note joke yeah. that says I cannot stand by that comedy opinion. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I can't, yeah, I yeah. Because for me, a big revelation I've had recently is about my fear of disappointing people. Yeah. And you, we have similar uh, um, relationships to anxiety one way or another and, uh, or have done. You talk in the show about your fear of rejection being like yeah. a kind of almost like a foundational fear. And one of the things I've been confronting recently is how many of my life decisions I have made unwittingly in order to kind of swerve a situation in which I could disappoint someone. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, how, yeah. How, many, how many things did I not even realise that at the time I was making a, a sort of a, um, not implicit, like a, what's the word? I just didn't know that I was making a decision because it was it was easier to do that than risk disappointing someone. Yeah. Have you had that with the kind of rejection thing? Because there's obviously mm. we can look back at our lives and go, well, I realise now I'm this sort of person, mm. and that's why I did X, Y, Z. But I've kind of recently been sort of falling into a bit of a rabbit hole of going like, God, it's not even the X, Y, and the Z. It's not the stuff up there. It's the big decisions that yeah. I made. Yeah. Well, definitely, like a lot of my relationship like i guess yeah a big part of what the show is about is like uh so many relationships professional and personal where i didn't want to upset the other person or yeah or disappoint them and so would kind of uh forfeit my own kind of sanity sometimes or like how i was doing in order to kind of like not rock the boat too much and go okay so i'm gonna have to put up with whatever it is you know uh a tougher time for a bit because i'm trying to weather this thing on my own whereas i could just turn to the other person and go what's going on can we talk about this please or something like that and um especially in like you know i say in the show you know just for ages i just was never the one to end a relationship and it's because like, i just i would realize at the same time as whoever i was with at the time i'd realize at the same time as them this isn't working and then I would just do nothing. <laughs> I would just go, I would convince myself, oh, I'm maybe imagining this and and, uh, and uh, maybe it's fine. Whereas they were thinking, this really isn't working and why is he... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, what's going on? I don't know, expecting me to do the breaking up, but, like, it meant that all the pressure was on them and I wasn't even acknowledging it. And so... Uh, and definitely I've had relationships where, um, towards the end, I was just an absolute, like, just constant buzz of anxiety, but I didn't realise that because I never put that label on it. And that was, which is part of doing this show as well, which was kind of going, oh, I'm labelling things properly now. That's anxiety, that's stress. It's not, um, you know, it's not that I'm paranoid or it's not that I'm in love. 
<laughs> you yeah. know, like you're str- <laughs> this person makes you sad and yeah. stressed out and makes yeah. your body want to run away, and that's not you being in love with them. That's your body being like, get out of here. Yeah. And uh, and sometimes that can happen. And, and 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 I definitely didn't. I just didn't label any of those things. They, they were these like mysterious just little patches in my life that I could go yeah I wasn't quite okay for a bit there but as if it was like a mystery mm. and not going listen to your body that was a big part listen to your body and what, what, what's it telling you you're stressed out you're anxious yeah. you're depressed whatever it is um and how much easier it would get then it's not like it gets easy uh, as in like you can just breeze through it but like realizing oh that's the situation and so what's the opposite of anxiety? Yeah. Where am I trying to get to? How do I do that? Yeah. Um, rather than just going, um, I don't understand what's happening and uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just cra- crazy and stuff. Because like that's, crazy is the word that gets put in place of actual what's actually going on. And yeah, it, yeah. it stops you from ever understanding stuff. It's just thinking, well, I'm, I'm mad. You say at the end of the show, I'm in a much better place now in the best relationship in my life, you know, and, and it's one of the things with like having not seen each other, having not been in the same room since pre pandemic. One of the things I noticed when you walked in, you seem taller, <laughs> which I think is because you're happier. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> like you, like, how are you feeling like right now in yeah. life? Obviously like, you know, we talk about the lockdown aspect of it and what sure. changes that has made in a, in a sec, but you seem kind of really together. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, I feel that way. I, I, I feel better for so many reasons. I mean, um, the, yeah, the relationship I'm in is amazing and, like, is, you know, uh, you have relationships that you end up in that, you know, you don't look back at past relationships and go, think anything bad about those people in fact it does the opposite it just makes you go oh they just weren't right for me and i wasn't right for them and that was all it was and we were two people who weren't right for each other trying to make it work and finding that very frustrating and now this is a completely different planet and it's and you kind of go oh this is i just wish i'd met her when i was 13 or whatever like i I, what a life that would have been um so that's lovely and also like you know, kind of talking about lockdown like I'd already planned to not do any gigs this year that was the plan I'd done a very like last year was the biggest tour I'd ever done um hardly any time off that was my own fault but like it was very stressful and at times you know really got on top of me and um just doing no gigs since December so it's like nearly a year now doing no gigs which is I haven't I mean since I started comedy I've never done that um but like probably since even before that, when I was in bands and stuff, like it's just not being on stage, um, it just feels great, and I don't miss it, and I'm not kind of going, oh, I would really like to be in front of an audience and get that approval again, and, and kind of go out and go, is this good? And they tell me it's good, and then I go home going, I'm good. <laughs> like you know, it, it's like I don't really, I, I don't want, I don't want that. I don't miss it. I don't, um, you know. And there's probably something about having filmed that last show and having that. And being able to release it now, and um, and it really feeling like okay, that's I I would yeah I, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future, but if someone said to me you can't do stand up ever again, that's not allowed, I would I wouldn't care, <laughs> I wouldn't feel bad. I, I'd be like, oh, I did everything that I wanted to do and more. Like I didn't think I'd do any of that stuff. I didn't think I'd get to film shows. That was what what got me into loving stand-up the first stand-up i watched was filmed and uh and just creating the show and filming it those, those two bookends uh you know writing it and filming it i, I like my favorite parts and to have been able to do that many of them i just feel satisfied and don't feel like i need to go out and do something else i'm really glad that this one is so different to the other four because that means like i can feel like i don't know i think there's something in myself that is like I don't think I, I worry about being a one-trick pony or anything like that, but you kind of go, oh, I did something outside of my comfort zone at the end of all that. You know, kind of like those Netflix shows were my kind of university kind of uh, handed in your end of uni. I didn't go to uni, so I don't know what it's called, but when people hand in their thing, a dissertation, the a dissertation oh, right, yeah. that's what it felt like. Yeah. And then uh, this felt like it's my job now. And this is what I, I did. And now I feel like, oh, now I'll just instantly retire. <laughs> but, but like, but that might not happen either. Yeah, it might be that you know, in a couple of years' time, I really want to do it again, and I start doing it again, and I find it's the most fun I've ever had. But definitely, it's nice to be in a place where I'm not going. 
um, yeah, I, I, I felt it, it, it just after a while it gets maybe it gets unhealthy being in front of an audience. Again, that mislabeling of emotions. Mm. I lied for years to myself about being nervous. Just said I wasn't nervous and it was fine. And I was really nervous. I was getting in front, of, getting up in front of audiences, but I was telling myself I wasn't, and that I was excited when I was in college and we did a music course one of the teachers told me and my friend uh graham he told us um that excitement and nerves are the same emotion it just depends if you're being negative or positive in your head which is a lie (laughs) i think i've perpetuated that lie to myself and to other people yeah but i then so then me and graham were like okay we're excited <laughs> so like yeah. that, that was like my motto for the rest of my you know life uh, until like a couple of years ago it was just like i'm excited for going on. yeah and that's why i feel this way and then eventually i had to be like oh i'm nervous and i don't want to go out there and i actually don't want to be in front of them and i actually don't like the feeling of being in front of them most of the time i feel uh too vulnerable and i feel too judged and that's why i can throw gigs and i can throw it back in their faces and it's not a, it's not a riddle that i need to solve I'm not enjoying myself, so I behave that way. Uh, and I'm kind that of going so, like... I'm, I'm really perversely pleased to hear you say that because, <laughs> like, I... Not that it's not that it's like any kind of pet theory or anything, but yeah. I do know when you said before, just a moment ago, that you're, those are the bits you enjoy most, writing the show and handing in the DVD kind yeah. of thing, you know, those bits. Like, those almost are the smallest bits of it because there's an incredible amount of being on stage in front of an incredible number of people. And I, I think... I don't mean this to be critical at all, but I, I think when I asked for questions from from people, more so for you than I think most other comics, there's quite a lot of, when he did this show, he got really angry mm-hmm. and he didn't seem to be having a good time. And yeah. it, there's a few, a few of them. It's not yeah, like overwhelming. Yeah. But also just having known you for a long time and, and talked to you about gigs, that comes up quite often mm. that you've... Not tanked a gig deliberately, but I remember. Like I've, I always felt like you lose your temper quite quickly with mm. an audience if you don't get what you want, and I, I suppose that I'm sure that has its roots in the difficulty of being on stage and the the fact that you have been pretending to yourself that it isn't difficult. So that I suppose that advice, mm. I think I still think it's sound advice that you can recognise. I think maybe the, the sensible advice is you can recognise that you are nervous and try to reframe it as excitement, mm-hmm. as opposed to, if you're feeling nervous, you're a bad person if you consider it anything other than excitement. I feel like you've been carrying that around. Yeah, yeah. So maybe. that feels quite healthy to go, no, it's simply that I don't like that bit sometimes. Yeah, but just scared of being nervous as well, scared of being nervous, and then that meant that it might go badly. So telling myself I was excited so that I wouldn't uh, be you know, nervous, and then it would go bad. But, like... I don't think I ever, like, really lost my... Like, I think losing my temper is a bit of a strong phrase because I I never lost my temper with them. It's that I would be feeling... Part of the theory, and the, the thing is, is that it would work... Like, throwing the gig and saying it was rubbish and stuff like that would work... Um, a certain percentage of the time. Sure, yeah, like yeah, Like a yeah. third of the time. Work in the sense that it would turn it would lift the gig. because it would lift it the would gig. It would be funnier yeah, yeah. and it would go well. And... Yeah. uh and a third of the time isn't enough, but it would still be like, well, I know that can work. And uh, and a lot of the time it wasn't even... When a, if a gig was going awfully, I wouldn't mind as much as if it was just going okay. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, this is like... I was going to go, I'm a, I'm a boring comedian. And I'd say, well, I'll just make this an event and see if we can get something. And sometimes it would, you know, it would become one of your favourite shows of the year by throwing it like that. And the audience would come away like, how much of that was real? How much of it was planned and all this? And it, you go, oh, what fun. I'll never tell. Smoke bomb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But other times, you know, I understand why people would ask questions like that uh, in your thing. Cause, because, like, um, you know, if I'm at a gig and I see someone throw it or something like that, I'm thinking, like, OK, what's going on there? Because my experience as an audience wasn't that. I thought it was fine. I thought it was going OK. I'm a bit quiet in the room, but the show was what I wanted yeah. myself and I wasn't laughing that much but I liked the show and why did that happen and what and and that and like the answer to all of that is that it happens because for the same reason that you know when you tell someone you're a comedian and everyone just says to you how do you do that how do you get up on stage I would hate it I'd be so nervous you go yeah yeah me too and that's why it's happening it's happening because I'm like you and I'm doing what you would do if you were on stage and which is kind of like going like I, I can't and but what I'm doing is I'm following like you say about the um believe in the anger on stage in this show and going like 
we can yeah and it's scripted obviously that stuff about twitter but you have to believe the emotion for it to be funny and a lot of the time if i'm like i know i'm not enjoying it i'm frustrated i'm uh stressed out on stage they're not liking it. i don't really like the audience and they're not laughing at me the thing in my head of like i if i go in my genuine emotion now i've got a better chance of making them laugh big and getting a big laugh mm. than i have for many of this material i've got and so it works sometimes you you lean into that and sometimes yeah there are loads of parts in this show that came out of that and came out of like you know all the twitter stuff was me genuinely at one gig um i think i'd come on after the interval and someone had tweeted something and i came on and was like right and then just did a whole rant about it and it was like, oh i could keep that actually yeah. and you know if i was always saying to myself don't do that don't ever do that stuff then i wouldn't have found that bit also, though, you have to think of like, OK, so here's the thing that's benefited me as a comedian and, and, and this show. But then there's another side to this, which is me as a person. And it's like that again, that thing of like, don't be your own audience and get confused between the two. Like you, you as a person is a different thing and you have to look after yourself. And if you are coming away from gigs going, oh, I hated that. I hate myself. All that audience must think I'm a dickhead and must think I'm a petulant child and they won't understand why I was doing that stuff and I, I, I shouldn't have done it anyway. I've done it enough times that I know it was wrong and all that. And even, like, you know, I spoke to you about it on the podcast before and I've done it since. So it's not like a thing of, like, I'm ignoring it or I'm not aware of it. It's that in yeah. the moment I feel like I can't help it. I feel like uh, on stage when people aren't laughing very loud, it's not going that well, I feel like... You know, I'm staring down the barrel of an hour, sometimes two hours of this. And uh, instead, I'm going to I'll try and make something out of this or make, yeah. you know, like a and and with this show more than ever, that has sometimes made sense. And it's some, you know, a lot of it being about not being able to end relationships codependent relationships that shouldn't be in that and the kind of unspoken well not really unspoken but the other relationship in that is my relationship with the audience and when i was in melbourne that was a massive part of the show it became a scripted thing i had points all the way through the show where i'd have a go at the audience and say how much i hate melbourne comedy festival and (laughs) they loved it it went well there and which was kind of bad for me in a way because it made me think well that's in that's in forever, but sure. then the next place you go is New Zealand, and they don't like that. Yeah, they don't right. like it. Yeah, yeah, they don't okay. like it in New Zealand if you tell them New Zealand shit, and then they definitely don't like it when you then go around a tour of the UK and you try and do it, and then you go, oh okay, that doesn't work, and now I've got to rethink this, and um, and that audience think I've just gone out and been rude to them when really I was trying to do what was funny <laughs> at other gigs. Um, is it? I mean, the way in which you're talking about it now is so much more healthy. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, it sounds like you have really decoupled your your work from your sense of self worth in a way that is like, you know, <laughs> hats off. <laughs> you know that, that uh, Gary Goldman was on the podcast a couple of months oh, ago cool. and he talked about the, making an active decision not to let every performance be a referendum on his self worth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I was like, yeah. beautifully put. You know, yeah. um, I would imagine that what was at stake for you, given your given the, the, the anxiety you've talked about, your fear of rejection, like what's at stake for me when a gig is going badly is there's a kind of, there's a sort of cockpit level of like, I'm looking at the instruments mm. and I realise that this needs something else. And mm. then underneath it, there's a kind of maelstrom level of like, oh, I'm going to disappoint them. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's like a physical sensation in my body. That's the kind of the deep yeah. stuff that it's like, oh, that's going to take years to unpick. Mm-hmm. Is what's at stake for you them rejecting you? a feeling that they'll reject you if they're Probably. not laughing. Is there that kind of visceral sort of connection to it? Yeah, there's. That, I guess a lot of comics have that thing of, like, uh, a need for approval. Or I was watching t- the series of Taskmaster and uh, Mawan Rizran uh, said about... Um, he said something at one point about, you know, I did a school play once and my parents didn't clap at the end and now this is my career. Yeah. Uh, uh, something like that. And I was like, yeah... Yeah, that's probably, like, stuff like that, like, um, where you're you chasing that approval for whatever reason. I have very, you know, my parents are very supportive, but, like, you know, from somewhere I've got this thing of, like, I want that approval from people. And, um, but I resent them for it as well. So it's not it's not like a thing of going, like, I want your approval, so now I'll do whatever you like. I'll do a little dance. I just want you to tell me I'm good. I go, I want this approval, I've, and I've 
and I don't want to want it and I don't want you to be there with the power to give it to me or not. And so I'd rather tell you to go fuck yourselves and then uh, in the moment I'm thinking, like, because then you haven't got any power over me anymore, fuck you. But actually, they still do have power. You still want them to like the show. You still want them to like you as a comic. And now you've gone, go fuck yourselves. And they've gone, oh, OK, this guy's a bit of a dickhead, actually. And, and then and, or even if they haven't thought that, in my head they're thinking yeah. that. In my head they're thinking, this guy's a dick. And now I'm like, now everyone thinks I'm a dick. And now I'm like, how do I do this? How do I turn this around? And then I come off stage and I'm really annoyed that I messed the show up. And and I, I, you kind of go, this has to... <laughs> also, a big part of it, I'll say this as well, that is not my... Uh, that's not my default setting and that's who I am. I'm not going on stage wanting their approval, but I'm tired. Most of the time I'm tired. I, I haven't had enough sleep. I'm doing, or I'm, I'm doing a gig every single day for a year, and it's a two-hour show, and I'm talking about really personal stuff, and I'm travelling around, and I'm flying to other countries, and I'm exhausted. And then I go on exhausted and try and do this show, and they don't laugh, and then that, then I feel uh, I need their approval. I don't want their approval. Fuck them. Uh, are oh, they now they think I'm a dick oh for fuck's sake and, and, and then that's there because I'm tired and when I'm not tired when I'm rested and I'm fine and I go on and it's not going well I just power through and do the gig it's not like that's who I am uh, as a person all the time it's definitely not who I am off stage but like on stage if I'm exhausted and then yeah I'm just prone to the worst parts of myself because I'm just not on it I'm not I'm not clear-headed, you know. If I've if I've exercised exercised in the day, didn't do a gig the night before, and I'm rested, go on. They can shout whatever they want at me, and I just get to the end of it. And I've ignored people, you know. I, I, I've ignored hecklers and just carried on and just not paid any attention to them at gigs before. Um, and it's fine. So, like, a, a big part of it is just that. Do you are you able to? sort of actively put rest into your life I mean obviously now we're talking about a time when there aren't any live yeah. gigs and who knows when you're setting foot on stage on tour again for a while yeah um, but I, I I I fill my I fill every gap in my diary almost so that I can be stressed <laughs> do you sure, know what I mean yeah, yeah. and I do wonder whether like I feel I've already in this uh, in this conversation I've sort of logged oh next time James starts talking about touring I should text him every so often and go remember to put gaps in sure, do you know what I mean like yeah. what, what is it that makes you fill all the gaps is it just the demand and you don't like saying no mm-hmm. or is it that there is something compulsive about filling all the time like are you the yeah. architect of your own exhaustion yeah well I I think like, like loads of comics, you know, you don't no one hands comedy to you. You have to get into the industry somehow through open mic circuit and doing gigs. And before that, I was in bands who yeah, you know, trying to get into an even more impenetrable industry. And um, it was all just down to you making stuff happen for yourself. And so I was having to get gigs all the time. I didn't know how to do stand up because I was new, so the only way to learn and get better was to do gigs, and so I had to try and get as many gigs as I could, especially because I was travelling from Kettering to London. I had to justify that to myself. I didn't have a lot of money, and I was spending all of my weekly wage from this pub I worked at and the drum teaching I was doing. I spent all the money on travel and food, going out to do open mic gigs. So I had to make it count and had to do as much as possible and do as many gigs as I could in an evening. If I was in London for just two nights, if I could do more than one gig a night, then it was even more worth it. And so, and also it's like, well, I'm not going to get more gigs if I'm not getting better and doing well and people seeing me. And and that is what happens. When you're on the open mic circuit, if you're gigging all the time and you're getting better and other comics are seeing you, you get more gigs. So that work ethic really pays off and all the comics that I know now who are professional comedians who started as an open micer with me those were the comedians no one who was doing that isn't a professional comedian now like they're all working because we we did we were just obsessed with right let's get as many gigs as we can and do this and then there's not really a time for a while I didn't feel there was where I could just go 
oh, I'm I'm set now. This is my job forever. I'm all right. Like, you know, I was like, no, you know, now it's your debut Edinburgh. No one knows who you are. You've got to get that show together. And uh, now you've got a, uh, and like that went okay, but you're you're not on TV or anything and you've got to try and get that now or you've got to try and get on the radio. You, you want this thing. And you're constantly just trying to improve. And, and so that you're, and that was the most fun bit as well for me was trying to improve. Mm. So I enjoyed getting better. So getting all these gigs did make me feel I look at my diary and it was full and I knew that well that means uh I will get better and hopefully you know this will become my job or this will continue to be my job or whatever it was and you just do get to a point where you need someone to go okay do you know what you can relax a bit now you don't need to keep on booking all these gigs in um it's okay and like yeah and luckily I have an agent now uh who is just brilliant at that and just kind of goes James you need to book yourself some time off and you know last year i overruled them on a couple of those things and i paid the price and they were and they were I, i'm sure they weren't happy about that but yeah. i'm sure they were vague a little bit of them were satisfied going well maybe next time he'll listen to us yeah, on this because yeah, yeah. you know and you know before the pandemic and stuff like that, i had already said to them no gigs this year don't let me do any gigs i'm not doing anything so i am able now to kind of like you know i feel because of this show that's about to go out i feel more like, um, not that I proved my point, but like, yeah, kind of proved my point, but to myself, not to other people and not to kind of go into them like this, but like to myself going, okay, no, I'm a comic and, and that's fine. And that's, I've done my show and that's, you know, uh, I, I feel like that's enough. Like I, I, I don't need to kind of like fill my diary and I have had enough. I think last year was like, the amount of times I did throw shows because of tiredness and stuff like that, I was like, okay, yeah, that's enough of this now. You've been you've been throwing shows for too long, and you don't need to have this be a regular part of your life. You don't need to have this be a part of people's lives who've come to see you this evening. So let's just let's just step back from this. You've you know, yeah yeah you, you can you can just like ease off it and get a bit more perspective. So, but it took you know feeling secure in. Uh, yeah, myself in terms of like myself as a comic, not myself as a person, but just going like, okay, yeah, I've, I can, I, I would probably watch me now. <laughs> <laughs> so that was James. I'm sorry to cut this off in the middle, but you know, this was so fun. James was so giving of his time and so generous with his insight and his his thought and his articulation of where he is and what he's doing. Um, that I thought rather than chop half of this out and, and give it to the Insiders Club, I'd just give you both halves of it. So next week, James Acaster returns again, part two. And uh, remember, if you are in the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to join for a minimum £2 a month, but you can pay as much more than that as you want. Everyone gets the same benefits. You get all of the extra content from every episode that has it. And you also get the audio of a special one-on-one. It was one-on-one, 70-on-one um, but uh, I was able to sort of facilitate people asking James questions directly in a Zoom room full of insiders, very switched on comedy people with great questions to ask. James enjoyed it. We did too. The audio of that, uh, it's near, I think it's just about an hour. That's now available on the Insiders Club feed. And if you, uh, if you are a member of the Insiders Club, you will also get invited to forthcoming ones of those. And honestly, it was so much fun. And crucially, if you know anything about me that you'll have heard from the post ambles of this episode, it provoked in me no dread or anxiety whatsoever because I just, like I'd done my work by assembling a team of mega comedy fans who think deeply about comedy. And so I just had to sit there and casually run this conversation and i just loved every minute of it so we're going to do bundles more of them so if you want to find out about them comedianscomedian.com slash insiders look forward to part two of this next week and you can follow james you can't follow what am i saying you can't follow james on social media but you certainly can watch at 8 p.m wherever you are in the world on the 17th of december cold lasagna hate myself 1999 dice.fm or search some combination of Dice.fm and James Acaster, and you will find it, I'm sure. If you want to catch up with me, you can go to comedianscomedian.com, send me your feedback, info at comedianscomedian.com. Follow me on social media because I don't have enough of a following that they pester me. I'm so lucky. I, I reflected, not for the first time over this conversation, how lucky I am to have the sort of 
comparatively minuscule reach whereby for someone to have heard of me you basically need to be cool um so if you would like to basically be cool then you can follow me on social media at comcompod uh, and also if you want to find out the other things i'm up to at the moment go to comedyinsights.com to find out about my work talking to business about resilience and indeed you can go to virtualofficeparty.co.uk if you are still at this at the 11th hour struggling for something to do for your office christmas party now that you're all working remotely go to virtualofficeparty.co.uk and see what we have to offer it's unique it's brilliant and we've got a load of them coming up in december and i cannot wait speak to you next week with more james acaster bye for now hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.